0: This is episode number 211 with software engineer at our studio, Javier Loraski. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited to have you on the show today. And today we've got a very interesting guest, Javier Loraski, on the show with us. Javier is a uh, software engineer at RStudio. If you uh, use studio, you might know a couple of packages that he's worked on or and or co-authored. Uh, packages such as Sparkly R, MLflow, CloudML and many more. And in fact if you even if you are just a beginner in R uh, you probably have already encountered the dark theme in studio, and that's something that uh, Javier has also contributed towards. Uh, So we've got a very exciting podcast coming up for you just now Uh, with Javier. We talked a lot about big data and big compute. And specifically, we talked a lot. Most of this podcast is dedicated to Apache Spark. So in this podcast, you will find out the whole history of big data, uh, where Hadoop came about, from why Apache Spark was created, how they compare what Apache Spark is used for, how it's developed over time, how it's developing now. Um, you will also learn a lot about package development in our studio and some of the exciting things that are happening in this space. And in addition to all that, you will feel a lot of passion. Javier has a ton of passion for this space, for our studio, for Apache Spark, uh, for developing packages, for big data and big compute. So this podcast is full of that. I was personally sitting on the edge of my seat, just enthralled by all of this amazing... Uh, all these amazing stories that Javier is telling, and this whole space of big data. So, all in all, an incredibly exciting, captivating podcast. Can't wait for you to check it out. So, without further ado, I bring to you Javier Luraski, who is a software engineer at our studio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science podcast. Today, I have a very special guest calling in all the way from Seattle, Javier Luraski from our studio. Javier, how are you going today? I'm doing great, Carol. How about you? I'm doing well as well, and I'm in uh, Australia right now in Gold Coast, The weather's quite warm here, unlike Seattle. You said it's a bit, it's getting a bit cold there.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll probably have to go and visit you one of these days because uh, definitely <laughs> we can use some of your sun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and um you mentioned winters are quite harsh in seattle like how cold does it get
1: yeah it's, it's not that it gets that cold about uh you know uh gets colder minus five celsius mm-hmm. which is not terrible but we have very very long winters mm-hmm. uh so definitely expect a visit for me somewhere around march or may I'm, I'm assuming australia has pretty nice weather most of the year correct?
0: yeah yeah most yeah, of the year so? it's it's quite it's quite good the only thing is that it's a bit, uh, it's a bit like the first time I got here, I was not really expecting that during winter, it's warm during the day. But then at night, the temperature drops to like maybe plus eight degrees Celsius, which is, yeah, which is fine. But the thing is, they don't have central heating in the in the buildings, you know, so you're like, oh, wow, so the building is actually cold and you have to get blankets. So that was a bit unexpected. But other than that, it's really cool. Very yeah,
1: nice I I would say that at, that at least in winter is it's a time where you can be very productive because you mm-hmm. know like it's dark and everything and you know it's cold so it's kind of like puts you on the mood to just get things done which is good. I I kind of been on warm countries and uh, sometimes getting getting work done in warm countries gets
0: gets trickier. <laughs> yeah, I know you work faster when it's colder.
1: I I, I at least that's for me,
0: but yeah, I I don't know if same. that's the same for everyone. Same for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, all right, well, Javier, uh, our studio—you're on the podcast. It's it's really cool, really cool to have you. As I mentioned, I've already uh, spoke uh, before. As I mentioned before, the podcast I already spoken to Nathan Stevens, Nisha Ayer. I've recently have just been chatting on LinkedIn to Jonathan Regenstein, all from our studio. You have such a fantastic team there. This is this is incredible. Every person I meet from our studio is like some sort of. Very interesting genius in their own field and I learned so much so I'm really looking well, forward to this podcast I got really high expectations for today.
1: Well, we appreciate that but like uh, it's definitely fun I, I don't know about uh, being all all of us genius, but like uh, definitely it's fun especially since we're a distributed company um, You know, I don't even know honestly where Jonathan is is these days mm. but uh, you know whoever you talk with our studio is it's likely that they won't be on the same city because we're just all over the US also Europe and uh, it's um, yeah. crazy.
0: It's crazy. How is it to work in a distributed company like that?
1: Well, I I really love it. Honestly, um, I I do feel like um, you know it's it's different. Like one of I feel like like any other new job or any any change in your life usually have a honeymoon period, right? Where mm-hmm. you even data science, right? Like I bet like you start with data science and you're like, oh my god, this is great. This is the best best thing. And for for the most part, I think working in a remote team has been has been that way. Um, I I do. And I would give, you know, as advice or unsolicited advice to your listeners, right? Um, There's definitely like a period where you get, you know, you have to tweak your personal life to also maximize other things that are not work related, if you know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, you know, like when when you're in the same office, it's very easy to have like those personal interactions and keep up with people and why not. And when, when you're in a distributed team, like you kind of like lose the personal, you know, face to face connection, unless you proactively say... Hey, I want to catch up with this, you know, colleagues or friends that I haven't seen, right? But net, net, I think it's fun. It's fantastic. Like I, I don't, I don't even know what uh, commute looks like, and you know, like it's, uh, it's nice to, you know, be 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 close to your family and why not? So um, definitely, highly, highly recommend um, remote positions and remote teams. That's so
0: cool. That's so cool. And I totally agree with the whole concept of lo- losing on the personal side of things. You need like something you need to uh, take care of. Like for instance, at Super Data Science. We have a remote team and we all catch up. We make a like an effort to at least once a year to all get into the same place and like spend a week together. And the other thing is like every week uh we have a new buddy. So everybody in the team randomly gets assigned somebody else. So it could be like a director, it could be um, you know, an analyst (laughs) together. And for the week you no, not for the week, for the month, you guys are buddies, and so you like plan your weeks together, you catch up once a week and that really puts people from different parts of the company closer to each other. So I think you're right, the personal side of things.
1: Yeah, so great. so I'm, I'm actually curious, like, what does that mean? Like, because you're still remote, right? Does that mean that you get to talk with this person in Slack or whatever you're using? Uh, or
0: So Slack, uh, you can talk to anybody, but uh, anytime. But that means that at least once a week, you need to... Uh, catch up and uh, talk to that other person in person so oh, right. we use Zoom so not like, right, like right. in person as in, yeah, in yeah, real yeah. life we use, we use Zoom as well yeah, yeah but yeah. like uh, on video you need to catch up yeah. with that person at least once a week at the start of the week when you're planning your week and you spend an hour together and so you you know you, you're never really chatting about the weekend you know what are you doing in person life. and it's been right. really feedback's been really good people love to you know Find out yeah, con- more about yeah point. connect and with other
1: colleagues and why not yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense yeah that's cool
0: um, okay so tell us uh, how did you get into our studio in the first place you wait before before we continue I just wanted to let everybody know so Javier is a software engineer at our studio maybe maybe let's start there before we go into the story how you got into our studio tell us a bit about you know w- what exactly do you do at our studio
1: Sure sure. Well, I mean, as as you mentioned, I'm a software engineer, so I write software, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of like obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mostly have been focusing on R packages. Um, for for those of you that, you know, might not be super familiar with uh, what an R package is, it's basically R code, which is just R uh, R is a programming language, right? And you package this code into modules that you can share with other people, right? Right. Um, so it's, this is actually a, you know, it, it's, it's a concept that you can find in other programming languages, but I think what the R community has going is pretty special because um, there's, there's a very nice relationship between uh, R package and an actual person that, you know, like lives and breeds in, the, in, in real life, right? So um, a, a lot of the functionality that you use from R is going to come from packages and those packages have maintainers and authors and at the end, it's just our code, but it's packaged in such a way that it makes it very easy for you to reuse and um, for us as maintainers to also, you know, keep, keep up with new releases and new features and why not. So, so yeah, I do our packages and, you know, spe- specifically I do packages that are mostly related with um, making our run faster or at scale or helping you share models with other people. Um, so, you know, you, our packages can basically do anything you want and the ones that I focus on are mostly about helping you work with big data and big compute and specifically with a package called SparklyR. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting description. I thought that uh, our packages, uh, you know, all mostly come from CRAN and uh, and that they are created by the community. I didn't know that our uh, our studio, on purpose, you know, creates R packages. Can you tell us the difference between those two, please?
1: Oh, well, they're exactly the same. They're mm-hmm. just two different parts of the story, right? Mm-hmm. So basically um, an R package is this, you know, it's literally like you could see it as a box with, you know, code inside it. Um, and CRAN is the store, you know, all the packages are free, right? But it's, it's where you go and get the actual packages. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's people that build these packages in the R community. You know, they don't need to work at our studio. And most, honestly, most of the packages that are on CRAN are not from our studio at all. Yeah. Um, so anyone can, you know, package a useful um, piece of code into an R package and then make it available on CRAN, and then anyone from the community can go to CRAN, search for packages, and then install them. Right. So so, so think about uh, about CRAN as the app store. Right. Um, you know. Whenever you go to the app store, you look through apps and then you install them. Cran is kind of like the app store from mm. from the art world, mm-hmm. and um, you know some some of the packages. Uh, very few are developed by our studio, and many 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 others are developed by other people in the community.
0: Uh, okay, gotcha. And so and in that case, how does our studio decide, uh, you know, like what the community is going to develop and what is uh, what is going to be developed within our our studio? Like for instance within your team and uh, just like within the company, like, is there is there right. kind of some strategy to, behind that?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a an, an strategy. Honestly, I don't think there's, um, you know, like an explicit uh, strategy, like this is my own personal point of view. So I, I wouldn't speak completely on behalf of our studio. But, but the way that I see it is that if we see someone that is already working in a package and it's a great package in the community, we just simply don't work on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're very pragmatic in the way we try to approach problems. So we try to look for the things that are the most painful and the most impactful that the community might need. And if we look at a problem, right, like in my case, like, hey, big data, right? Like, is someone in the community already providing that? And if the answer is no, and there's enough big um, impact that we can help the community, we basically help. That That's kind of like the very high level you know, like, hey, this is this is kind of like how we see it, because um, yeah, I I think in, um it, it it could be possible that you know if if they, our community would take over the entire packages, um, there there wouldn't be a need for our studio perhaps to develop packages, right? But, mm. um, you know, something that perhaps, um, I don't know if you already touched bay talked about this on your on 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 these series is, but there's like the opportunity that exists on in data science in general and in my particular case, big data is so, so huge that, you know, we need more people, right? Yeah. So it's it's not, that, it's not that we're fighting for packages, which is, I think, it's a great place to be at. It's mostly like, oh my God, like data science is growing so much and there is so much to be done that, you know, let's just make sure that we don't overlap because that, you know, that's just inefficient. But there's there's so much opportunity everywhere that, you know, we haven't had that problem of, you know, hey, having to do a lot of coordination or why not, right? It's, it's mostly pretty obvious when there's, there's a gap an opportunity that someone, someone can help
0: with. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Very, very interesting role and lots of packages. Um, so, maybe let's talk a little bit about some of the recent developments. So, you mentioned big data. Can you tell us a sure. bit about big data? Like, maybe even give a quick overview for uh, new listeners on the podcast who are not familiar with the concept of big data. What is big data and big con- compute? And um, yeah, what, what, what's the story that's happening there?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I honestly, you know, I, I really love those two concepts: big data and big compute. And mostly, I really like them because there's people that have like very strong feelings one way or the other. One, and you know, you probably have 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 seen this around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of like to me, like the way that I like to introduce them is just from a historical point of view, right? Like maybe that's you know the most boring point of view, but I think it's also pretty exciting, right? Yep. So, so, so if you think you know, like to me, like one of the most in- exciting things about you know. In general, data science and big data is if you ask a historian, right, someone you know specialized in history, is like, hey, how do you divide, um, you know, human development, right? The, the development of the human civilization, you know, like it's pretty, it, it's it's gonna be pretty likely that they will like mention things like the Stone Age, you know, like pre-industrial revolution, you know, like the industrial revolution, and why not? And and a lot of them will mention also the information age, right? And I'm pretty sure that you might have already heard this term, right? Like mm-hmm. the information age. And um, um, this kind of like concept basically means that there's a lot of information that we're creating that is digital, right? And if you look at one report from the World Bank, right, which um, basically creates reports about how the world wor- world is changing every year, uh, one report that they had on 2016 kind of like tried to analyze how much physical data we have that's called analog data in some ways, you know, like books and paper and, you know, like anything that leaves a paper trail and why not, and also digital information, right? And you can see in the report, like, it's just growing an exponential rate, uh, rates. It's just, you know, you don't really need to, you know, we don't need to explain this too much. But if you look at how many cat videos we create per day, right, Mm -hmm. or like Instagram photos or Facebook photos or just data in general, like we're creating a lot, a lot of information. So, you know, like back in, um, you know, like the year 2003, around that time, uh, there were companies like Google that were just starting. Right. Like it's, it's crazy. But Google is a pretty, pretty new company. Right. It's, it wasn't here. Um, what is that? 30 years ago or why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and what Google was trying to do is say, hey, we have the World Wide Web and there's a lot of information that seems usable. Can we make it searchable? And there were obviously companies before them, like Yahoo and Excite and Alta Vista, for those those of you that remember. But you know, like Google, one of those was one of those companies that said, you know, like how can we do? How can we make search better? And uh, the first problem that you hit when you're talking about the web is like you can't really put the whole web in one computer, right? It's just it's just too much data, and if you try to put it in one computer, like it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So the way that they solved the problem back then was by using multiple computers, right? You have multiple computers each with their hard disk across many, many, uh, many computers. You can, you know, you can load the entire web and, you know, like make searches. And that's basically what's, uh, what gives birth to what's called uh, HDFS and which I believe has been may- maybe mentioned already in your podcast, which is basically a way of splitting data into multiple, m- multiple machines, Right. So, so that's kind of like the beginning of big data. Is like, hey, if you have something that doesn't fit in one machine, you have big data. And it's, it's a pretty clear definition. There's obvious problems that fall into this category, right? Like, hey, you know, I have my computer. I'm doing analysis. I can't have all this data in my machine. I need multiple computers. Well, now we're talking about big data.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, and HDFS yeah. is a hyper distributed file system?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's basically the Hadoop, dis- Hadoop distributed, yeah, Hadoop distributed file system. Basically, um, the the way that this started is Google Google had an uh, had a research paper where they explained to the world, hey, we have the Google file system, right? And you know, we have a bunch of files. This is how we distribute them, distribute them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some engineers in in Yahoo, they said, well, this sounds like a great idea. Should we? Can we make it an open source project? And that's um, that's where Hadoop came from, is this open source impre- implementation of the internal file system that Google um, made available through a research publication, right? Mm-hmm. And um, let, let me know how does. Sounds great, yeah. I want sure to <laughs> make sure that I give you the, enough enough information, but not too much.
0: No, no, I love it, I love it. It's, uh, yeah. you, you're totally right, Like uh, it's the historic context uh, makes makes it even more exciting. Makes it like a, like a like a story, like a journey. So yeah, no, I'm I'm just listening. I'm really immersed yeah. in your in your explanation. Please please continue, sir. Sure.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. So um, you know, like so far so good, right? We had uh, Google was doing their own thing, and we have uh, open source projects like Hadoop that were doing their own thing, mm. and as I mentioned, they were mostly based on disk drives, right? Disk drives even today like can store the most information. Uh, for the lowest cost. So it makes sense to put information there. Um, But then um, a a different project um, came out around, I want to make sure I get this right, but I I believe it was around 2009. uh, There was a project in Berkeley um, to kind of like improve over Hadoop, right? Said, well, Hadoop is great. We're doing all these things based on on a file system based on disk drives, but can we do it better, can we do it faster? And sure enough, another open source project started in Berkeley called Apache Spark. And the premise at that point in time was, or one of the things that changed from their precursor was that um, there was a trend in which um, memory, you know, RAM, um, computer memory was getting cheaper, not as cheap as disk drives, but it was getting a bit cheaper, right? And it also happens to be the case that your computer memory makes your computer pretty fast, right, so whenever you go and buy a new computer, like the amount of memory is one of the things that you wanna go and check, oh, you know, like it has like four gigabytes or eight gigabytes or 32 or whatever, it makes a big difference on speed because it means that the computer can handle more things um, in a faster, in easier faster, easier way to access it, right? Anyways, so basically the, uh, the Apache Spark project um, started by figuring out how to create something like Hadoop and improve over it based on memory. And what they found out is that sure enough, you can get significant speed ups uh, by using memory instead of disks. And one of the one of the things that we like to do as software engineers is sort data, you know. Sounds sounds like such an easy task just to order Data, you know, if you, if you, if you had, a, like, a list of names of people and you just want to put uh, list them on alphabetical order, it happens to be a pretty compute-intensive task, especially when you have, like, a lot of data. Anyway, so what they found out back then is that it used to take, you know, to sort 100 terabytes, which is, is a lot of data, it used to take Hadoop 72, 72 minutes and 2,100 computers. So that was with Hadoop. And then, uh, if uh, with this new framework based on memory and with um, a, a more rich vocabulary of operations that you could do, you could do the same in 23 minutes, uh, but only using 200 computers. So that's that's crazy, right? It's an mm-hmm. improvement of 10x performance. You know, you need 10 times less computers, and you actually make it. You can sort information faster, right? Mm-hmm. So it was it was a really really big deal back then, and you know it's it's still you know in some ways it's still. Pa- part of the, you know, main trend of trying to figure out as, you know, as a society and as humanity, like, how do we order, you know, how do we, how do we make sense of all this information, right? How do we arrange it? How do we store it? How do we answer harder and more interesting questions over and over, right? Um, So so that's pretty much what Spark is. It's an in-memory engine that allows you to process any information, um, one of the things that is different, perhaps, with Hadoop is that when you talk about Hadoop, um, there the really there was there was only support for one type of operation called MapReduce, and maybe this is also something that you know people have heard around, you know, like when when they're getting immersed into uh, data science and big data, right? It's like MapReduce. Well, back back when Hadoop was designed uh, there was another paper from google where they proposed this model Um, you know whenever you want to transform information i guess i guess i should say that so far we've talked about storing information and retrieving it we haven't talked enough on okay like well information is across multiple computers like how do you actually you know make it do something meaningful if it's distributed across multiple computers right Mm -hmm. Um, so the first attempt to solve that, which also was at around the time, a, f- a couple of years after um, Hadoop it, uh, came to be, uh, was a paper from another paper from Google called MapReduce, which basically explained the world to say, "Hey, if you have a distributed system, that, were, that basically means you have a lot of computers, you can reduce all the operations to mapping, meaning transforming." some information in the same machine to some other information in the same machine and then combining the information between machines. That's kind of like at a high level what it is. And it was it was pretty good at that time. Um, But but it was also constraining in the sense that it didn't provide a lot of like verbs or you know like you know kind of like grammatical constructs to make coding more easy, right? It, It was pretty pretty bare bones at the time. And um one of the other big improvements from Spark is that it it enabled a um big vocabulary of operations and to make big data um more easily uh more easy to analyze, right? So instead of just saying, hey, you need to tell me how to map data in each machine and then aggregate it, it introduced things like, hey, just tell me how to what you want filtered, what you want to the average to be like, right? Uh, Kind of like more things that are, now they feel closer to what data analysis is. Like, hey, I just want to count how many earthquakes um, are available in this data data set, right? That's, That's a pretty simple question that used to be actually pretty tricky to ask back when we only had MapReduce. So with Spark, you can say things like, hey, from all this data set, give me all the earthquakes that just happened in Australia, right on this period, and give me the count. So, so that's much a much more rich way of uh, expressing and analyzing data. Is when when it's distributed across multiple machines. That previous technologies didn't really, um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't as simple. Like you had you have to provide code for you know to process each each disk drive on each machine, and mm. then like figure out how to create and all that. Mm. So yeah, it, it was it is it. It was a big deal and it's still a big deal. I mean, it has been less than 10 years. So um, if you look at the, at the Apache Spark project, I mean, we can talk about more of the things that have happened and why not. It's still changing a lot. So it's it's by no means what I would consider done. Mm. Um, and, you know, like it's, it's growing every day. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So as I understand, if I understand correctly, Apache Spark not only... Uh, is faster than Hadoop in the sense that it uh, uses uh, RAM, so it works in memory, uses RAM instead of the disk yep. data, but it also is simpler to use, to operate. Is that correct? Yeah, that is completely correct. Mm. And, you know, the the thing to
1: say here, right, it's, it sounds really easy, you know, and, and it is really easy compared to dealing with MapReduce, but you're still talking about, you know, like, hundreds of machines or at least tens of machines, right? So mm-hmm. it's a pretty hard problem. And it's it's surprising the amount of progress that the open source community has done, has made in the past 20 years, right? Where yeah. now really anyone, you know, if we want to get at the specifics of, hey, how, how do I get into this? Like really anyone can, um, you know, download the tools that they need in like less than 15 minutes and get up and running and, you know, start doing data processing that was really state of the art, in mm. you know, in companies like Google or Yahoo, like 15 years ago, right? So yeah. you know, it, that that thing is just kind of like the technical, you know, explanation of why data science is such, and big data is such a big deal, right? It's because these tools are so easy today than what they were before, that we, we honestly haven't figured out yet, like how to fully apply them, and we can maybe talk about, a little bit about this, mm. but just the, just talking about potential, right? Is like well. Google and, you know, like Yahoo and other big companies were u- using these tools, right? And they're great. And now they, they just became so easy to use. What can we do with them, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of your listeners will have, you know, more particular ideas, but it's, it's definitely fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And uh, do you have certain packages in R which allow people to work with uh, Apache Spark? Yeah, that's, that's
1: a great question. And yeah, the, the answer is yes. And the package that I recommend using, it's uh, called sparkly R, you know, yeah. it's kind of like a corny name out of spark, you have spark, this is like sparklier or sparkly R. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we we'll, we try to name our package in fun ways because you know, like, it doesn't doesn't make sense to name them with boring topics, right? So yeah, yeah it's called sparkly R. And it's basically the way that you use um, spark from the R programming language, right? So um R is obviously like a pretty well known programming language uh or computing language I would want to say very well um, known de- very my well known.
0: brother is studying at uni now and he's actually using R it's really the, cool there isn't? you go so um so
1: you know if if you're already you know have an itch for learning R it's it's another natural progression to say like well what about um you know things like big data and we even we we haven't even talked about big compute so we need to get back to that mm-hmm. but yeah definitely if you want to um, you know, if you want to get involved into doing things in cluster computing with big data, and why not? Uh, this R package called SparklyR is a very nice way of getting started. And and again, it's in, in this particular case, it's a package that our studio developed, and uh, myself and other people in our studio are authors of this package. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's actually an uh, an Apache uh, licensed open source project, so you know it's. It's completely free. It's available in CRAN. You can download it. It's easy to install. And, and same for Spark. I didn't mention that, but Spark also happens to be an open source project. It's Apache licensed. So it's pretty much there for anyone to use that, um,
0: mm-hmm. that has that need or interest. That's very really cool. That's very really cool. Uh, how long does it take you guys to develop a it package, just out of curiosity?
1: Well, we're, in all honesty, I feel like we're still working on it and we're <laughs> still going to be working on it for a while. Yeah. And, you know. So the, the original package, um, we worked for a few months on it back in 2016. We actually announced it back in Use R 2016. And, um, you know, it was, you know, like the base, basic functionality, which uh, included things like being able to do data analysis with Deployer, which um, it's one of the most used packages in the R community, which allows you to basically design um, Data manipulation um, operations through a grammar that makes it very easy to let you analyze, even from very simple things like, hey, give me the average of this column. You know, we all we all used to do that in Excel, or why not? Or counting records all the way to, well, I want to run, um, you know, like I want to join these two data sets and I want to, you know, like run a specific computation on them, and why not, right? So it it definitely has like that broad of that breadth. Of um, functionality for very, very basic data analysis to very complex data analysis. So that was one of the first features that we decided to include in SparklyR to allow the R community to easily move their their already existent uh, data. You know, like uh, basically analysis that they can run in their own machine. You know, like if you have a CSV file, just a text file or why not, or an Excel file, yeah. by the way, you can use Excel with R if that's what you, you know, mm-hmm. if that's what you like doing. So, you know, like you can, it's what Deplier allows you to do is to say, hey, I'm I'm going to use a, you know, Excel spreadsheet to do analysis so you can import it with ReadR and then you can do data analysis on Deplier. But then now with Sparkly R and support for Deplier in the Sparkly R, you can say, well, instead of running this same analysis in this ex- Excel spreadsheet file, now I want to run it on, you know, like 10 terabytes of data, or why not? Nice. And, you know, like, it's the same thing, right? Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to regret it. You don't need to worry about a lot of those things. You do need to pay for the computers, right? Like, you know, may, we haven't talked about this, but, like, still, computing is not free, right? So yeah. someone needs to pay for those computers, and why not? Mm. But at least as a user, and if you work in a company or you, you aspire to work on an organization, that, you know, like it's it's going to do like data analysis in small scale and also in big scale. These tools allow you to really easily jump from, hey, I, I just want to do something quick and dirty while I'm on the bus, you know, on my way to work and it works. It's it's great. And then like you can just literally copy paste the same code and run it against like a ginormous data set. Right. And um, yeah, so so that's kind of like how it started back in 2016. But since then, You know, what we've seen is that, you know, the Spark community keeps growing. They keep adding new features. You have to keep up. It it keeps getting more and more interesting. Um, You know, like, for instance, one of their uh, conferences got renamed uh, last year, I believe, from Spark Summit to Spark Plus AI Summit. So, you know, like, now Spark is getting also intertwined with deep learning, and it's enabling a bunch of other really cool, interesting things to do. Um, So I honestly don't think that, you know, we're going to be able to call, you know, like our work done, at least not on the next few months. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's one year, two years or the, another 10 years, who knows, but definitely it's, it's like a moving target. Right. And and I think that's, that's exciting. Right. Cause that means that, you know, like you're not jumping into something that, you know, like started like 10 years ago and no one uses anymore. And like, why not? Right. Like it's like the opposite, right? Like there's, there's things that are very stable and you can be very reliant on and, you know, use them at scale and be, very confident that, um, you know, they're going to uh, give you the productivity results that you're looking for. Um, and there's sort other, other things that are just like very, very new, right? And they're exciting and, you know, like they're probably going to get there, but they're still like a moving target, right? So there's, there's definitely like interesting bits and pieces for the newcomers and for the very experts to be, to be excited, specifically about Spark, just because we're talking about Apache Spark, but also I think
0: in general on, on data science. Mhm. Gotcha gotcha and uh, while we're on the topic of Spark I know we have so many other things we can discuss but I am really curious um Apache Spark 2.0 was released I think uh, last year at the beginning of last year uh what are your what are your thoughts on that uh, jump from Spark to Spark 2.0 what what new new stuff was added
1: Yeah yeah for sure so um well first of all I would say that that was a big jump um you know there's um, just to give some context, Spark 1.5 was like, you know, like the first wave of, you know, people were starting to get familiar with it. And, you know, like, I, I feel like it really hit mainstream. Mm-hmm. 1.6 is still uh, one of the biggest, you know, like released versions that is still in use today. Mm-hmm. And and the jump from 1.6 from 2.0, like introduced like many, many improvements and interesting new features. One, one for instance, one of the ones that I, I was excited about was uh, Spark Structured Streaming. I know it's a pretty, pretty long name, mm-hmm. um, but basically it means real data processing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like that's a really good segue to talk a little bit about big compute, right? Cause yeah. we only talk about this big data kind of like part of the story, which is important and relevant, but then a lot of companies, you know, like don't have, you know, huge data sets, right? Like, so what's the point of big data? Like, why do I need spark? Right? Like, you know, is this just hype and whatever? And you know, like some of that is true, right, like not everyone needs big data, but there's this whole other side of the coin called big compute right and what big compute the way that I want I like to explain it is just mostly making things faster, right so you know like when you're when you're when when you have simple questions like, "Hey, count how many records I have well that's usually pretty fast, and you don't have to worry about that right but you know when when you start asking questions like, "Hey, could you please sort?" you know arrange all these data set well that's a little bit harder right and then you know like if if for those people that are in the track of doing data science and again i'm not an, i'm not an expert on data science i'm a software engineer but like they will get more and more familiar with uh, more complex models right so you know like um some people might might already be familiar with linear regressions which you know are are um a, a type of model that can um that is pretty pretty common and pretty um efficient and, uh, like a pretty good first step towards modeling, but then you can, um, you know, incrementally get harder and harder models, right? You know, you want, you want to really fit the data correctly and why not? So a lot of times what happens is like, well, maybe I only have like, you know, like a hundred megabyte data sets. It's like, well, that's obviously not big data, right? But then you're running these models and, you know, a lot of times what we see is we see, um, we see data scientists just waiting like an hour, right? Or it's like, well, you know, like I'm going to go for a coffee because, you know, like this thing is just running for the next two hours, right? And he's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. that might be a good case for big compute, right? Which means it only really means saying, hey, let's divide this task into multiple computers because even though you don't have big data, like it would be nice, wouldn't you know, wouldn't it be nice if, if, if instead of waiting two hours, we could give you the answer in, You know, like twenty seconds, right? And he's like, "Well, there's no
0: time for coffee."
1: There, okay. Don't don't tell that your boss, right? But uh, yeah, you you can do it faster and still go for coffee. But uh, anyways, so yeah, um, so definitely, you know, like there's the the other side of the coin where you say, like, well, I don't care about big data or I don't need about I don't have a need for big data, but I want to make things faster, right? Mm -hmm. And when you when you get to that point, right, it's like, well, how fast is fast enough, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for For you and me, maybe, you know, we don't have interesting data sets and we're like, well, if you give me the answer in like 10 seconds, you know, like that's good enough. Right. Like, who cares? That's Mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's there's a lot of industries out there like, you know, um, I'm just thinking of uh, stock trading. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I tell you if I tell my boss, he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to give you the answer in 10 seconds. He's like, what are you doing? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's 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 really not going to help me. Um, so there's there's a lot of use cases where you want to have like instant feedback right and some of the things some of the ways that we describe this is with concepts like uh, real time we say like oh we want to process data in real time right meaning i don't want to wait for whatever is being processed to finish processing right like i need the data right now right Mm -hmm. and there's definitely you know like a niche there of like who who really needs real time versus who doesn't right um but Spark structure streaming gets uh, enables those types of um, you know um, really fast execution uh, models that are very useful in some cases and you know uh, that make a lot of sense. And, and the way that, that they're tackling it um, and that we're tackling with sparkly R and, and specifically uh, streaming, it's kind of like a very profound, interesting way, and the credit goes to the Spark, you know, to the Spark project. But the way that they define a stream, right? It's so. So we're talking about streams, and we haven't even really defined, like, hey, what is stream, right? Well, the way the way that we define what a stream is in is in Spark is like a table, you know, like Excel spreadsheet, but uh, where, in, you know, when you open an Excel spreadsheet, you have a limited amount of rows, right? Like you open it and you have, hey, I have like 20 rows or whatever. 2 million, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it has, it has like a set number of rows. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference with streams is that we consider them uh, as data sets that have an infinite amount of rows, mm. right? It's, it's not true that they have an infinite amount, right? But like if you're looking at the stock market, right? And you were seeing like, you know, what's the, what's the price of the NASDAQ every second, right? And if you try to see that as a table, well, it's a table, but, I mean, assuming that, the, you know, assuming, like, the NASDAQ doesn't crash and, you know, like, disappears mm-hmm. from planet Earth, like, that looks like an infinite data set, right, of data that just keeps coming. Yeah. And it also has the, the, the quality that you want to process it really, really fast, right? Like, you don't want to wait of, like, yeah, I'll tell you what is a good prediction for the stock market tomorrow, right? It's like, well, I need it, like, instantly, right? Um, so, kind of, like, when you are when you start looking at those data sets, that data is coming really fast and, you know, like, it never stops coming, um st- structured streaming is like the feature that you kind of like want to consider so so that's one of the newer kind of like features that I'm excited about doesn't doesn't mean by any means that you need to get started with data science and big data with s- streaming right like um, there's there's a million other ways to get started but it's definitely one of those features that um, it's pretty exciting and uh, I, I could talk here for hours so <laughs> you know just just tell me
0: like uh kind of like where do you want to
1: kind of like Question steer the conversation? So yeah.
0: well, with um, big big, com- I'm glad we touched on big compute and that it's uh it's a part of Spark 2.0. Uh, so big compute is kind of, as I understand it, in this sense, is the um, or the predecessor for big compute is just parallelized computing. Like that's something I studied at back at uni. Yeah, parallelize is, processes. It is. Yep, it is. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And, uh, and Spark uh, takes full advantage in that sense that it's running in memory, right? You, you know, your right. b- big compute happens in memory, not on disk drives. Right. And, and you know, like we were talking about these
1: um, verbs that exist on Spark, right? That make it really easy to do operations, right? Like, hey, I want to filter. I want to get the average. I want to join these two, two data sets, Right. Um, so, you know, since you're already familiar with, you know, parallel computing, you probably also remember how hard it is, right? Yeah. Or It used to be, right? Yeah. Like it's not trivial at all to say, well, I have three computers with small data set. Now I want to do calculation over these three things at the same time, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's actually pretty tricky. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's fully solved on Spark, you know, cause there's a lot of like, you know, if you're doing genomic analysis or why not, right? You will probably have to do customs things but but just talking specifically about like data analysis like that problem is well solved in spark you don't you won't have to worry about hey how do, how do i make these things run faster
0: yeah.
1: you just you know explain it right in terms like um, similar things like what we were talking about in in r we have the, the plier package yeah, yeah. well you can do you know like you can arrange a pretty big data set you know like this 100 terabyte data set that we were talking about um, you can still sort that data set in 23 minutes just by saying sort right like sort parentheses open parentheses close parentheses you know put a pipe before that and why not um so so kind of like those things get you know yeah and and you're right like big compute is not a big term a new term it's just something that has been getting simpler and simpler right and hopefully hopefully with time it would get even simpler right like i mean i don't even know how that looks like because i i already think it's pretty simple Um, honestly we could we could also talk about that because i i feel like some of the challenge today you know, still on on distributed computing is about troubleshooting uh, when things are running at scale. Um, So, you know, like in a lot of in a lot of cases, things will run smoothly and you can run your computation and be done with it. Um, The reality today is that, you know, the harder computations you're doing, even though it's easier to express what to do, um, there is still a lot of like, hey, I need to troubleshoot. Why is this machine failing? You know, like, does it have enough memory? You know, like, you know, and, and my hope is that in the future, like those things will get even more and more automated, right? Where, you know, like um, I'm just making stuff up at, at this point, right? Like this is almost science fiction, but like, mm-hmm. it would be cool that before you execute some data analysis, right? And you say like, Hey, I want to sort this data set. Like it would be cool if the tool to- would tell you in this case, a spark or sparkly R, or why not would tell you, Hey, you're probably going to need, you know, like if you want to run it in one computer, it's going to take you three hours. If you get a, 10 computers with like, you know, eight gigabytes of RAM each or whatever, like it's going to take this much, right? Mm-hmm. So like that that part today, like doesn't exist yet. Like you need to, you know, like figure out like how big the cluster needs to be or how small or like, you know, get um, kind of like get some advice from your system administrator if you work in a big company or a big organization. Uh, but hopefully, you know, like one, one cool thing that we could do is just make it easier to say, Hey, we're gonna help you optimize what you need, and we're gonna tell you, and then you know, like we, you can execute or why not, right? But but yeah, there's there's definitely like a lot of really interesting work, uh, you know. If if other um, more if other people listening to your podcast feel more in the you know like more on the software engineer track, um, I would also encourage them to you know like explore kind of like those areas, right? A lot of the questions that we get or I personally get today uh, to answer is. You know, I'm a software engineer. Like, how do I how do I become a data scientist, right? And and that's totally fine for those people that want to become data scientists. But there's also like a lot of disciplines around data scientists where you know, like people can apply their skills, right?
0: So like you, right? You're a software yeah, yeah. engineer I mean, working on I mean, data science stuff all the time,
1: right? Yeah, and I love software engineering, and I wouldn't change it. But it's surprising that I still find a lot of like very meaningful problems and interesting challenges on data science without being per se a data scientist right yeah
0: yeah, yeah. gotcha. no that's that's definitely a very interesting uh, kind Point of, of view, current, i guess yeah and career path that you've de- decided yeah, for yourself yeah i mean
1: i mean honestly i haven't thought about other career paths but like i could see how someone that is doing marketing right or why not like could also take a focus i don't know exactly how that would look like right but you could say you know what i like marketing but you know i want to complement with data science and you know like how do i really apply marketing to you know like big data and data science and why not, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for, the, for those people that are kind of like by curiously looking at data science or not, like I feel like there's also strong career paths if you stay on whatever you're doing but put like a strong focus on, you know, data science or big data or big computer, why not? But you yeah. stay where, where you're doing, right? And um, that's probably also
0: as valid. Very, very true. Um, I, before we move away from Spark, I just wanted to ask you quickly, from your experience and from what you've seen in this space, how difficult is it to learn Spark? You mentioned that it's quite, you know, simple to use, as in it yeah. uh, parallelizes a lot of stuff for you. You don't even have to think much about it. But in general, like, yeah. what would you say? How long does the learning curve from, you know, knowing um, the some R programming and how to do data science on a basic level in R to actually knowing how to use Spark and querying um, big data sets with Spark and with R? How long do you think that right. would take?
1: Well, so I would split this into two questions, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you're starting by your own, right, and you know, you don't have like even a Spark cluster, right? Like if you're literally, you know, like finished, you know, like um, you know, like if you're if you're on your own, like I feel like that could be challenging because it's like, well, where do you even get the computer, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, there's a lot of questions to ask, and how do you, you know, Amazon, like set up Amazon, a scale and
0: Amazon, yeah,
1: Amazon, yeah. So there's there's a lot of like you know. Um, services out there, you know, like there's uh, Amazon, there is, um, Amazon has a service called EMR. There is a service called, um, in Azure, HD insights, there is Cloudera, there is Databricks, you know, like there's, there's like 10 different ones. And I apologize for the ones that I didn't, didn't mention. Um, but you know, like, so there's definitely ways of getting started, you know, if you're, if you're on your own. Um, but, but I think that's usually not, not the case. Usually what happens is, you know, like, um, well, there's, there's, you know, th- we can break it down again into two. Like, one is like if you're learning, right? If you're like, hey, I want to learn about uh, R and I want to learn about Spark. Well, I have very good news for you because it's actually super, super easy. Um, in in uh, in fact, like that's one of the, um, you know, goals that I have that re- brings me the most joy is to make it absolutely insanely easy for you to get started with Spark and R. Nice. So you can get you can get started very easy. You download R you download the sparkly r package by installing it as any other r package and then you literally run install underscore spark uh open parentheses close parentheses run that it will install it for you and then you run uh spark connect so you know like uh, you know don't try it from from you know to do this from the actual um podcast but if you want more information go to spark.rstudio.com and you know we'll um um we'll get we'll help you get there so it's, it's Totally, really easy. So, so that's one case. If you're a student, um, definitely you can do it, and you can uh, the the barrier or the, the cost to entry is, is super super low. So, so give it a shot. The, the other the other way that you know where you might end up working with Apache Spark, which is also really easy, is if you happen to end up working on an organization that already has an Apache Spark cluster. It is often the case that there's, you know, like a cluster administrator and there's someone whose job it is to maintain that cluster or someone that is already paying the bill, you know, um, with Databricks or like, you know, Amazon or like Google or like um, Azure or why not. Right. So if if those clusters are already up and running and a lot of times the data is already there, it also happens to be very, very simple because, you know, you don't have the burden of, you know, like. Setting that up, right? Like all you need to ask is, "Hey, where is the cluster? What is the connection name?" Um, you know, if you listen to, pro, my, my, I'm almost sure that Nathan probably talked about connection strings and why not, right? Like all you need, all you need is a character string that tells you where is the cluster, right? Mm-hmm. And so you basically put that into Spark Connect, and that will get you up and running, right? And uh, cluster administrators, administrators are pretty good at you know, helping other employees or members of, of that um, community to get up and running. So I think in both cases, it's pretty, pretty easy to get started. So those are, I think, just great news, like there's almost no excuse to, to not try it out. I, I would say that it, it is it is, um, it is a linear, well, I would like to, to say that it's a linear, you know, learning, learning path, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it is not true, you know, that doing everything on Spark is as easy, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like there's, as we were mentioning, there's, thing, there's things that are very easy and, you know, like newer things like maybe Spark structured streaming or like, you know, like other topics. Um, I, I work proactively every day to make them easier. But, you know, like you kind of like want to start with small steps, which will get you very, very far um, regardless. But then, you know, like as you feel confident and feel proficient you just need to keep walking right like it's just like a slope with you know with a with a nice incline you know like just kind of like you know if, if you like um m- mountain climbing or why not or you know kind of like that type of deal where you're like well you know you start going it's not that hard and you know like you definitely you know at some point like you know you're gonna get be hitting harder problems but the very nice thing is that the to get started it takes very little right And and, and i think that's important because If it takes like a really long time to even do simple things or why not, it's like no one has time for that, right? But like if if it gets you up and running and you can do meaningful analysis very easily, which is where we are today, it's very easy to get started. It's very easy to learn. And then, you know, like as your problems get harder and harder and you are, you know, like answering more interesting questions that have either that are interesting to you or that bring value to whoever you're working for or with. Um, it just makes makes it easier that, you know, it's you just need to keep working there. And, you know, like there's, I didn't mention it, but there's uh, there's a great community in R. My um, guess is that some some of the other R speakers here mention it. But there's like a v- very nice, uh, warm community around R and specifically also, you know, like about Sparkly R and why not. Um, so you can go to resources to like community.rstudio.com. And, you know, just ask for help. Uh, you can also go to our GitHub, GitHub page and, you know, like look at the issues. And if, you know, if something feels like that you really need help with, like you can open an issue, right? So you're also not alone in this. Um, and it's, there's a lot of resources to get you up up and running. So I, I definitely at least we would encourage everyone to, if they're curious about big data and big compute and cluster computing, like give it a shot, right? Because you're going to be surprised that it's something that feels... Uh, Doable, right? As you know, which would would, would not have been the case like a few years few years ago.
0: oh fantastic! Thanks, thanks so much, Javier, for you know, that uh, description. Uh, hopefully that will encourage more people to jump into learning uh, Spark, especially through R. It sounds sounds like you guys really make it happen, make it easy. And those who are already using uh, Sparkly R, like Javier is your man. He's he's making things uh, <laughs> light for you in the space. Um, well, there's so many more things that I wanted to ask you about, like uh, about big data, about your journey into this path, into this career and so on. Unfortunately, we're running out of time and probably we only have time for one more thing. And I thought, uh, out of all the things that I have written down, I thought the most important one would be your book. So you, you mentioned, uh, before the podcast, you're working in a book and seeing how much value you're giving on this podcast, how you like, how passionate you about the space, I think it would be, um, it would be a shame for listeners not to hear that you and some of your uh, colleagues you're working, or some of your friends you're working on a book that is going to be published next year. So tell us a bit about that. What is this book going to be about, so people who are interested in the space can look forward to it?
1: Right. So uh, the name of the book is going to be somewhere around the lines of the R in Spark. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like funny name. You know, your it's the R. What is the, the the piece that we're going to highlight from Spark? Where well, it's R the R programming language? Yeah. Um, so we're probably, we already have a website and we're going to put more information when the book is published, but the website is ther.inspark.com. So it's it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, but for now, it's it's a bit of a placeholder, uh, but you know, like if you're interested, at least it's, it's good to keep in your bookmarks. Uh, but my goal with that book is to make it the, mo- the, well, both with Sparkly R and with the book is to make it the absolute, absolutely easiest way to get started with Apache Spark. Um, so anything from, you know, like, hey, what, what is this this thing which we already, you know, like your your listeners are lucky enough to have you that they already know kind of like what's what Spark, right? And, and they got like a very nice introduction. But um, so the goal of this book is to make it very, very easy to for anyone that opens the book to say, wait, what is big data? Oh, that's what it is. What is Spark? Like, oh, now I get it. Like, OK, now, now that I understand it, like, how do I get started? Right. So it's going it's to be a very gentle introduction Uh, But, you know, being gentle, it's not going to remove the fact that if you go through the whole book, we want we want to take you from being a very new user to being close close to being an expert. Right. And, you know, like like any any book, you know, you need to do the exercise and, you know, like practice and why not. Uh, But we're definitely hoping that we can bring a lot of people um, to the Apache Spark community as well and um, just help them out. So, yeah, definitely. um, If you want to keep in touch, they are in spark.com might be the place. Awesome.
0: Um, I'm actually yeah. look, looking at it right now and um, it's uh, there's for our listeners, if you were interested in what Javier was talking about today and you found it exciting to listen to uh, R&Spark, if you go to the website, the rnspark.com, there's a way you can get early access to the book. So you just have to send an email to Javier and uh, you'll get early access. So I, I think that would be pretty exciting to like get early access to the content um so yeah if you guys are interested jump on top of that um javier we're out of time thank you so much for coming on the show being an amazing journey i've been just listening totally totally captivated to you. you have so much passion for the space before i let you go i have to ask what are some of the best ways for our listeners to get in touch with you to follow up you know you mentioned the and spark um what are what other ways can our listeners get in touch with you
1: yeah I mean, I would say Twitter, but I'm honestly so bad at Twitter I, I need to listen up you know I need to listen for a ten 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 hints to or you know ten <laughs> tips to be a, a better Twitter user yeah uh, so Twitter you know like definitely you you can find me there Javier Luraski at uh, you know and that's just Twitter first name last name. Uh, I'll do my best to answer there uh, but definitely you know on the GitHub page and we also have a Gitter channel so you know it, it's gonna be pretty easy if you start looking at you know the sparkly R. If you search for sparkly R one way or another one you're probably gonna end up um, reaching myself and other colleagues in our studio so um, I would just say just don't be afraid um, you know whichever whichever form you find us of contacting us um, there's a Gitter channel where we can chat there is um, you know Twitter if hopefully I get better at using it um, there is github there is the book that you know um, you know it, it will take us a few months to get it get it to you but um just in general you know whichever way you can find us um, just feel free to to keep in touch and, and looking forward to that.
0: Awesome. And uh, LinkedIn, is it all right to for listeners to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's
1: first name, uh, last name altogether. I, I I don't think they have like a nice shortener, but uh, fr- yeah. my first name, Javier, last name, Lurasky. and yeah, Twitter as well. You can find me there. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know if I, if I miss anything else, but uh no. I, I can give you my address if you want to. But, uh, just
0: kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And your social security uh, number and, where the and money. That's is. for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I think that's all. Well, once again, thanks so much, Javier. Good luck with the book. Looking forward to it coming out. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to get so much value from this podcast. Thanks so much.
1: Well, Kirill, thank you so much for having me and uh, great work with this podcast. I'm uh, really happy I, I, was, I had the chance to be with you today here.
0: So there you have it. That was Javier Laraski from our studio. Hope you enjoyed this session as much as I did. Personally, my biggest and favorite takeaway was the whole fact that we dive, dove into Apache Spark so deeply and got to know the space so well from firsthand, from a person who actually works in developing a package to work with Apache Spark. So Javier is up to date with all of the changes in Apache Spark. and. He's, uh, he knows exactly everything that's happening in the space. So it was really great to hear this information, uh, these insights directly from him. And I'm sure you can also feel the immense passion that Javier has for the space. And in fact, it's uh, it's even contagious. So if, I'm sure if you have never heard of Apache party before, now you can feel that this is one of those really, powerful tools that maybe one day you'll add to your data science toolkit. Um, On that note, you can get the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 211. There you will also find all the um, things that we mentioned in the episode, all the materials we mentioned in the episode, a URL to connect with Javier and follow him and his career on all social media. Uh, You'll also find a link to the upcoming book to the website where you can register to get some contents of Javier's upcoming book, which is going to be pretty awesome based on what we heard today. And of course, if you know anybody interested in the space of big data in Apache Spark who wants to learn more and who would be as excited about this episode as you hopefully and of course as I was on uh, today's show, then please forward them this link. Help spread the word, help other people learn these topics. It's Apache Spark is a really cool tool that is um, helping data scientists work with big data. So let's help each other out. Send this episode to anybody who you think might benefit from it, whether it's a friend, colleague, family member, or somebody that you just know and uh, know that this will help them out. On that note, Thanks so much for being here today and sharing this hour with us. Can't wait to see you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.